has been an awakening. Have you felt it? Light it up. Welcome to Unmistakably Star Wars, your source for a high-quality, informative, and entertaining look into the Star Wars galaxy. So strap yourself in, because here's where the fun begins. Well, welcome to Unmistakably Star Wars. Thank you so much. I'm so delighted to sit down at Star Wars Celebration Chicago and finally face-to-face with the fantastic Delilah Dawson. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you. This is the best. Thanks so much for for asking me and making it happen. It was y'all willed this into being, and I'm so glad. Our pleasure. So listen, I've got a a gamut of things I want to ask you, but before we even get to Phasma and Black Spire and all that stuff, let's talk about you and your own fandom for Star Wars. So take us back in time, and when did Star Wars reach in, grab your heart, and refuse to let go? Oh, wow. It goes pretty far back. Um, I was born in 1977, which is a very auspicious year. Excellent. But it also means I wasn't able to see the original in the theater because I was in the uterus. Um, So, yeah, I remember uh, being in my basement and having the, the, you know, read-along books where you would uh, put in your cassette tape into the cassette tape player. And, um, you know, R2 would go beep, 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 beep. You're supposed to turn the page. I really like that. Um, I remember really wanting the Ewok Village, and uh, it didn't happen. And I was like, I wanted to steal it from my friend, and couldn't. I've got my first Ewok, Princess Nisa. So as you can see, the Ewoks were my my entree. Nice. I'm uh, really big in there. And so yeah, I. It's like when I was a kid, you couldn't just things weren't on demand. Basically, yeah. you couldn't just go see the movie. Right, right. Uh, you had to hope it came on like you know NBC at three o'clock on a Sunday. So. <laughs> Um, you know, Return of the Jedi is the first one I actually remember seeing. Okay. Um, but, you know, at the same time, we had the Star Wars sheets, the blue ones with, like, the gold, like, the very yes, iconic ones. So yes. it's always been a part of my life. I clearly remember throwing up on those sheets as a child. So it's always been there. Um, all of the prequels I saw in the theater, we were late to the rehearsal dinner for our wedding because we were at the first showing of Attack of the Clones. So, like, it's in my blood now. Yes. And now it's just amazing. Like, we're just surrounded by all of our friends, and it's like, it's like being with your family. And growing up... And when you started to become your own fandom for Star Wars, there's so many folks, especially when you said, well, I really love Leia and being a strong model. Was that the same for you, or was there another character that you really found yourself resonating with? It was the Ewoks. Yeah. I like I like the animals. Like That's what yeah. really gets me. It was the, the Ewoks, the Rontos, the Dewbacks. Okay. Um, I love cute stuff. Okay. And so, you know, at the, at the time, like... I, Leia did not have as much of an impact until she was older and we were yeah. both kind of closer to the same age okay. almost where I was like, oh, you know, a mother's pain, a leader's right. pain, a right. woman dealing with a bunch of incompetent people, like, <laughs> I can broke all that. But when I was a kid, I was like, I just want to be the princess that hangs out with the yeah. murder bears. Right. And so. it's like, you know, they, they want to eat all the dudes, but they want to hang out with Laura on, or with Leia on purpose. Like, it was there. It's a great relationship. Yes. Let me ask this then. You, you launched into um, becoming a professional author. And then one day, do you get the call that someone's going to ask you to write Phasma? Or is that something that you kind of said, hey, I'd love to do this? How did that work? Um, I manifested it through black magic. (laughs) (laughs) I am down with this. 
<laughs> no, I mean, I was always big into Star Wars, but, you know, much in the way that I, before I started writing novels, I thought that, like, novelists, uh, authors were people that were called by the fates, like yeah. surgeons and nuns, like they knew what they were meant to do, and I didn't write a book till I was 31, and then I was like, oh, wait, anybody can do this. Um, doing it well and fast, not everyone can do that, but, you know, you're like, oh, we're allowed to write books, okay, because you can't just go do open heart surgery. Um, <laughs> But yeah, so um, I got published. I made friends with other people uh, who are in the same kind of vein. So I became friends with Chuck Wendig back in like 2009, 2010, okay. yeah, yeah. before he was published too. Yeah. Um, and then he tweeted he wanted to write a Star Wars book and he got to write Aftermath. And I was like, wait, that works? <laughs> so I tweeted that I wanted to write a Star Wars book and they did not call the next day like they did with him. I mean, rude. Uh, but yeah, so I had my agent send my books to them. Yeah. Um, I had some friends, I asked them to put in a good word with me. I don't know if they did or not. Maybe it was a warning. Um, and then one day I was in my Walmart in rural North Georgia and I saw a cupcake with Darth Vader ring in it, like a little plastic ring with Darth Vader. I was like, okay, I'm going to buy that and put it in this freezer. And like, when I get to write something for Star Wars, I will eat it. Uh, that'll be my victory lap. So I put it in the freezer and I was like, all right, come on. And I'd look at it every day and be like, come on, cupcake, we can do it. And then, like, I'm very lazy, and I like cake a lot. So after a couple weeks, I was like, screw this. I just ate it. I'm like, ah, ah, ah. like it's like Cookie Monster rage eating. Um, and then I was like, fine, that's done. And I put the ring in my jewelry box and was like, okay, that apparently I'm not a witch. That didn't work. Uh, and then the next week, I got the email. Wow. So all I can say is, um, kids buy cupcakes and make dark wishes on them. But you know the that whole devil at the crossroads. Like you have yeah. to pay for your sins. I can't eat gluten anymore. Uh. So my cupcake choices have gone like way limited, yes, but indeed. you know, worth it? Yes, that is the dark side of yeah. confectionery treats. I still have the ring. Excellent. Yeah. <laughs> so once you get the green light, you're going to write Phasma, and then between then and the time that we get the books on the shelves, what's that process like? Do they give you a sandbox that says, go do whatever you want to do, or do they say, here are kind of the parameters we want you to work within? Well, um... To be fair, there's a there's a missing step in there that was the Force um, the Force Awakens Journey to. I wrote uh, the Perfect yes. Weapon, yes. which was one of the first books in the new canon and the first book in Journey to the Force Awakens. Yes. It was a novella about uh, the Bazin Natal, the bounty hunter who turns in our heroes right. at Maskinata's castle in Takadana. Um, so yeah, I, I remember some of the first emails, and I was like, "When do you send me the World Bible?" Like the you know I was expecting like the Jedi text, like this giant massive tome of everything from every Star Wars book. And they were like, oh, there's not one. And I was like, well, which references? I've got all of my old RPG books. I've got all of the character dictionaries. I've got all the visual dictionaries. Like, which of the, and they were like, nah, what? And I was like, well, what do I do? And they're like, make stuff up. Wow. So I was like, oh, well, what if I did like the Night Sisters of Dathomir? And what if I did this? And I wonder if she's gonna be riding a rancor. And they're like, nah, just make something up. And I was like, what if she was on Jakku? And they're like, nah, make something up. <laughs> and I was like, you mean I get to make a whole planet? And they were like, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Wow. So that was like a big deal when you're like, I'm, I'm making a planet. So yeah. I walked around for like days just muttering consonants to myself until I came up with, you know, Choctill. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it was amazing. Um, the new canon, I think we have, we're not beholden to the old EU right. and to years and years and years. Right, right. So it's, I think we, we're very fortunate we get to create new things yeah. uh, while pulling from the things we love. Like there's stuff from my books from KOTOR and SWOTOR and the RPG yeah. uh, where the Nagrai killed me. And yeah, so, but anyway, they, um, it's like they, they tell you what they want with the book. You okay. work together to develop an outline. Okay. Um, lots of hands are in the pudding. Uh, once the outline is approved, you move on to uh, writing the book, and then you have yeah. you know somewhere between like 30 and 90 days, depending on how wow. tight it is. 
Wow, that seems incredibly fast for a layperson. I mean, from your perspective as professional, is that kind of an industry standard? Um, well, this is the, the hard news, as always, for people that really want to write a Star Wars book, is that it doesn't matter how much you love Star Wars or how well you know the world or uh, what a great writer you are. Um, you have to have like five to ten years of a solid career under you where you've yeah. proven you can work under pressure, you can work yeah. on deadline, you can take harsh notes, you can right. be chill when catastrophe strikes because it will. You have to have built a, a reputation um, for being easy to work with and being able to turn it around. Writing uh, to a world as specific as Star Wars on spec in the time frame they need is like it's a very specific skill. Yeah. So you definitely have to you know work up to that. You can't do that out the gate on right. your first book or two. Right. So. I just let me take a quick rabbit trail sure. when it comes to that because you are among other things known on Twitter for being very generous with your insights into the publishing and writing industry and you're amazing with interactions and answering questions of, Thank you. of your fans. You also mentioned like you have to be a professional in, in taking criticism and oh, yeah. oh yeah. And so, you know, we have one of the greatest parts of Star Wars fandom is we have a, a segment of fandom that loves to dig in and write their own fan fiction. Oh yeah. From your perspective, what is something that separates fan fiction versus something that gets published? Um, whether or not it goes through Lucasfilm and you get paid for it? Okay, but I mean, as far as the, the level of writing and, and the creativity of the story, is, is there a separation? Would it be right or, or incorrect for someone who feels that, actually, I think I'm a pretty good writer and I've gotten good feedback that I could do this for a living? Uh, well. When you write officially for um, Lucasfilm and for any kind of IP, it is in your best interest to not dive into fan fiction, and because you know you might unintentionally absorb something, step yeah. on toes. We can't um, officially condone this or yeah. encourage people to do it because sure. there are legalities involved. And we're—I'm a writer, not a, a legal thingy person. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's a world that I've definitely, um, I feel like reviews and fan fiction is the realm of the readers, and it's not my business. Yeah. So yeah. I stay out of it. Um, what I would say is, you know, lots of people, uh, fan fiction can be your, your training wheels, basically it gives you the world building and lets sure. you focus on character and plot. Sure. Write your heart out, write what you feel, write your passion, but if you're very serious about being published, once you've taken off the training wheels and yeah. you're confident in that, like, it, use those skills, you know, to create your own world. Because like, Star Wars is great, I love Star Wars, they're not looking through AO3 and, and Wattpad for the next Star Wars writer. Right. They're looking on the shelves at Barnes and Noble, and right, right. who's a New York Times bestselling author right. with a lively social media feed that people like. Right, right. Um, so yeah, like it's but whatever. I mean, I'm a, a big believer in like writing what you're passionate about. Uh, but to my knowledge, I think Claudia Gray. I, I call this thing in writing um, the fire slug meaning you blaze the path and it's burned behind you. I yeah. think Claudia Cray came to Star Wars from fan fiction and I don't believe anyone else will be yeah. able to follow that path. Yeah. Yeah. So like, uh, you know, online, I have a post that I put up on Chuck Wendig's blog several years ago called 25 Steps to Being a Traditionally Published Author, Yes. Um, which I always point people to because I'm like, if you want to know how to get published and get your book on the shelf at Barnes & Noble, here's the path to take. Yeah. Um, there are other ways, but you can't, 
um, you can't look to outliers and fire slugs to find your way through. Right. But this will this is solid. This is how I got in. Right. I was found in the slush pile. I don't right. have an MFA. I didn't know anybody in New York. Yeah. I didn't have friends at Lucasfilm. Yeah. I was a mom with a baby nursing on a bobby typing away at 2 a.m. Wow. And I just queried until it happened. So yeah. I'm a big believer in that. Um, and then if like if Star Wars is your dream, like that's what you do. And it's like yeah. you you hone your skills on those things. Right, right. Going back to Phasma, from your perspective, we, we get uh, an, a huge buildup of the character pre-Force Awakens. And, and we could even say that a lot of attention was spent on that character and kind of developing the hype for her. Oh, yeah. Um, some of us, and I won't name anyone in particular, um, went all in with his money on buying Phasma stuff. And, and well, why wouldn't you? It's amazing. I think she was like the top-selling action figure oh, for Force Awakens. Rightly so. Yeah. Um, that same person could also say there was a, there was a bit of a disappointment as far as the on-screen stuff, but you you really brought that character to life in in ways that I think so many of us were hoping we would see on screen. Thank you. You mentioned, I guess, the business of IP, and I talked to John Jackson Miller yesterday. You said like when you're dealing with intellectual property characters, passing the torch from one to the other is not a big deal. It's just kind of part of the madness of that. Um, the character that you gave us on the pages of the book Phasma was somebody that um, I think exceeded expectation of what we were hoping for as far as this incredibly um, tough-minded, ruthless woman warrior. Um, yep, that's her. And, and so how did you, in your mind, make the leap from what we had seen on screen before to the character that we got on the pages of your book? Sure. So the... Um I feel like every book, whether it's your own or publish in this book, what do we want to, the question we want to answer, the question we want to ask. Yeah. And with Phasma, the, the question was, why did she let down the shields on Starkiller Base? Mm -hmm. Because at the time, after The Force Awakens, um, a large contingent of people thought, oh, she's a secret resistance officer. Right, right. Um, a large group of people thought, oh, she's just a coward. Yeah. And what we wanted to say was, no, she is a cockroach survivalist yeah. sociopath forged in a cruel <laughs> crucible of a world who yes. will do anything to stay alive. Yes. And that's why she let down those shields. Yes. Which I think was also quite eloquently answered uh, by Kelly Thompson's Phasma comic where yes. they show how she got out of the yeah. trash compactor and then what she did to cover her tracks. Right. Uh, so yeah, it's, you know, we, the movies happen so far above us. I think of them kind of more like uh, official history in the mm. same way that I didn't get to choose the president in 1848. Yeah. I, you know, I don't really get to choose what happens to Phasma on screen. Yeah. Um, but the books are this wonderful place where we can explore you know, what we really hope to see, what we want to see, the answers we want, the questions mm. we want to raise. Um, but you know, that's part of her thing is like, uh, up until that last little moment in The Last Jedi, uh, when we look at her, it's just a mirror. We don't see what's under it, we don't right. penetrate it, we don't see her take off her, you know, you, I said in the book, and we get the idea through the movies, like, those other stormtroopers, they go to lunch, they take off their hat to eat, they go home to their rooms and their barracks, they take yeah. off their hat to chill. Like, I do not think she sleeps in that hat. Yeah. I don't yeah. think she takes a bucket off. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's, that's the great thing about the Del Rey books, and I think what the editors of the, at Del Rey and uh, the story group do such a wonderful gift um, for Star Wars fandom and saying, like, here's the things you want to know yeah. um, that the movies can't tell you, and we can make it canon, like, it's real. Yeah. Within the, the context of Phasma, there were, there were so many moments where the, the voice inside my head shouted, my God, this is genius. Um, All right, we got one. <laughs> first and foremost, the thing that, that pulled me in was <laughs> when you put it together, first period, order, period. 
And as somebody that's type A, OCD, I'm just like, my God, my heart is a rebel, but I think I am now first order material. Um, how did that come about with that kind of perspective on what the first order was? Sure. Um, so, you know, we, we knew we wanted to show Phasma's backstory and how she became Phasma, but we also didn't want this like, this is everything that happened 20 years ago, kids. Yeah. We wanted to have some relevance uh, today. And so we wanted to show, I guess nobody so far had kind of done a, a deep dive into first order culture. Like what's it like on right. a Star Destroyer? Yeah. Uh, it's in the visual dictionary. They, I have like the ship book with the cross sections of ships, right, right. but nobody had really said this is what happens. Or, this is how the world right. works. Uh, so we're trying to think of who would be, um, you know, Bai is, is, is kind of like the, kind of one of the main characters, but we needed a the foil to Phasma, the person who wants to take her down. And so you're yeah. trying to think, um, what kind of character would want to take Phasma down that would be the perfect foil for her, like the opposite, you know, her her bizarro self. And you're like, yeah. well, Phasma is a sociopath. She's in the First Order because it got her off of this place. Yeah. Um, she's in the First Order because it suits her. So the, we thought that the person that would be best for this is a dude who is a good person. Like this dude is lawful good, he literally believes that the First Order is saving lives, right. doing good, improving yeah. things. Like the First Order came to Jakku, I was an orphan, it took yeah. care of me, this is a great life, I want to train the children, right. we're helping people. Like, Cardinal's a true believer. Yeah. And he's a, he's a good boy just doing his best. And we unraveled his poor little brain. Yeah. Um, but that's that's what that was, is um, showing the people that, are that not everybody in the First Order is a bad person. He's like, hey, let's go mess up some aliens. Right, but some right. people are like, no, I'm going to help you. Like, it's going to make your, your life so much better. Like, he's misguided. And, you know, also watching what happens as you realize that, you know, the there's corruption in the heart of the ideals that right. you hold. Right. But that's what he believes. It's, it's First Order. Like, you, you go to this place, and if there's order in a place, according to him, when he believes, then, you know, there won't be the orphans, and there won't be the carnage, right. and there won't be the riots, and right. we won't have to have these pesky rebels yeah. going around shooting stuff up. Yeah. I, I think I my day job is to teach history to high school kids, and there's just so many parallels <laughs> of what we've seen transpire in our past that, that match that so well. Some of the other things that were so captivating uh, in Phasma, we have a couple of scenes with this beetle. <laughs> just, um, my goodness, the, the way that you describe um, the beetle and its, its pain to human beings is both riveting and completely scary as hell. Yay! Um, yeah, it is a comedy. I write horror books too! <laughs> and so, delving into that, what, what is it like to actually like take something play-by-play play that is so intense and gruesome and walk a reader through that? Sure. Um, so, like, making up weird animals in Star Wars is one of my peak joys in life. Um, I love it. I've made up so many animals. Like, I do things to delight my son. Um, like, in the beginning of Phasma, Vi is knitting with hippo glazed yarn that's like a yeah. fat, furry, teal hippo that yeah. lives on, like, Pantora, because he loves hippos. So, nice. yeah, I love making up animals. But we're trying to find a way, uh, you know, Phasma's people, they never, it says they've never stood on the ground. Right. They've spent their entire life, like, on rocks um, and on spires and in caverns, but they've never stood on actual ground, so they go to stand on sand. There's a good sand joke for those of you who love sand. <laughs> Um, but we were trying to think of like, uh, you know, in, in movies like, um, you know, that, that pre-alien movie, the, the snake, but where you're like, these people, they, they're on their planet, but they're seeing things they've never seen before, and yeah. you just want to be like, hey guys, if you thought you were safe now, I've got right. some bad feelings for right. you. Uh, right. So we were trying to think of like a very, a subtle, gruesome death that kind of called to mind like, okay, if you thought it was bad on your jagged spires, yeah. we have some bad news for you about right. sand. 
Um, yeah, but that was just like the worst thing I could think of. It was like, what if it was a tick? And you were like, we don't know what's happening. Oh, yeah, when their bones were like clear at the end, I was like, yeah, gross. But you know, the first draft is probably pretty rough. Um, my first drafts are very fast. I call them word vomit. I write front to back super fast. Uh, it's it's like holding hot laundry and running to the couch to fold it, where you're like, if you drop a sock, let it go, let it go, just keep going. You're yeah, gonna drop everything. Yeah. Um, so I think in the the second and third draft is when like the emotion comes in yeah. and you like pinpoint the right words and the timing because not only is it the horror of what's happening to this dude, but like he's conscious, he doesn't know what's happening, his friends don't know right. what's happening, right. and how each person reacts to that kind of really shows you who yeah. they are. Like Phasma is not like, oh my god, my friend. She's like, yeah. you know, what, what was yeah. that? Moving on. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Some musicians have said that when they're in the studio and they they nail a song, they can say it's going to be a hit. Um, from Phasma, we get Vi, we get Cardinal, fans fell in love with those characters. Hey. Those characters are continuing on. Was that even in your mind when you were writing Phasma that these characters would, one, be fan favorites, and two, would have a legacy beyond this one book? Um, I mean, when you create characters, like I, I, as you can tell while we're doing this interview, I am staring at costumes as they walk by. Yes. Um, I love costumes and I, I love cosplayers. I love the 501st. I, oh my God, there's like a Cubs Mandalorian walking by. Like I'm so here for it. Um, so I, I love to create characters that I think that cosplayers will be into. Cardinal, I was so excited when we got permission to do a Red Stormtrooper because we'd never seen that before. And I was like, oh my God, what if? 501st does a build of this. And the first time I saw that, it was like when Snuffleupagus shows up on Sesame Street and they all realize he's real, like I flipped. I couldn't believe it. So I definitely was thinking like, you know, what can we do that'll get cosplayers excited and give them something new? And the same with Vi. Um, I guess, you know, we have Sienna Ree, we have Ray Sloan, but we haven't yet seen like a black woman in a lot of power in the, re in the rebellion. So super jazzed about those. Um, but what happened was uh, Vi originally had a different name. And as we got closer to the end, uh, someone reached out and said, hey, would you change her name and maybe we'll use her in the, the Disney park? And we were like, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, and so she became Vi and we latched onto that and we're like, yeah, let's ride this pony as far as it can go, get her as far as it'll go. Um, it was super cool the day they did the, uh, the first reveal that Galaxy's Edge is going to exist. Yeah. They gave out, I think, a pin that had a picture of Vi. Yeah. And we were all like, oh my God, it's real. <laughs> Oh, but yeah, it's one of my favorite things is doing things that, that the cosplayers would be excited about. Maybe, you know, in Star Wars, we're trying to make help you see everybody in right. Star Wars. Um, so it definitely goes into my mind when creating characters is thinking about uh, costumes, fun aliens, right. um, and, and, and different, different, uh, different, all sorts of people. All shapes, sizes, yeah. ages, aliens, whatever. I, I love creating new things. I love that. And, you know, Dave Filoni and Pablo Dago have also said, you know, when they see members walk in as, like, the Rebels or the Five of First, that they're just, they're, that drives them. And so when you see something that you've created come to life, yeah. what is that feeling like? It's, it's, um, what I do, I never, this wasn't my dream growing up. I was, I was a muralist, a visual artist. I never thought I would write books. I never thought I'd get to write Star Wars. It's so unbelievable. It's almost, it's unreal. It's, it doesn't, I have little poignant moments every now and then when it really strikes home. But like the first time I saw Cardinal, uh, when I got inducted into the 501st, yeah. um, my first Cardinal, um, Hal of Pixel Props, he brought me a Cardinal helmet. So I have a Cardinal helmet. Like that's super real. When I see that at home, yeah. I'm like, oh my God, when I see the poster, yeah. I walked in and I was talking to people at Del Rey, you know, on, on Thursday. And then I realized like, there's a poster that's bigger than me of the Black Spire cover. And I was like, Aah! 
Um, or yesterday, I had a cosplayer come see me who was um, Phasma from her home planet on Parnassos. There's a point where um, one of the First Order troopers that she's traveling with dies, yeah. and Phasma takes that person's armor and puts it on. So yeah. it was like this sandy, broke-down, not-quite-fitting armor with yeah. her the cape that she made from Aratu with the green salve that they use for nutrients. Incredible. And it was like, I've never seen that before. Incredible. And then like I had a scene with... Um, Hucks in a bathrobe sitting on his couch. So I had cosplayers today that were dressed as like bathrobe Hucks with the bathrobe Kylo. Nice. And the shirt looked like nice. a naked man's chest. <laughs> and and they had a bathrobe Basma who was wearing um, silver silk pajamas. Like it's incredible. I love, I love seeing all the fun twists. Yeah. I saw um, a Hux yesterday, an Armitage that was um, a Newt. Newt's commander. It was like Huck, Huck's Newt, which are the two most opposing people I can think of. But oh, it's 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 such a joy to see yeah. people get creative and to love yeah. the characters. What, what was different about pinning Black Spire versus Phasma? Oh, there's such different books. Um, Phasma is is the story of a a it's the forging of a survivor in a crucible of pain every step of that book was what can i throw at this person and and watch her you know kill it or barely live through it it was yeah. a dark book yeah. um when i was writing it i listened to the mad max fury road soundtrack a lot um and now when i hear that i'm like oh 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 we're on parnassus oh god and i would put in the background on netflix a series of movies of uh like dirty dudes in viking costumes killing people there's one with mads mickelson there's one with charlie hunnam like you watch one and start suggesting i'm like yeah let's watch mads kills people yes. and do the, the yes. so every time you look up there's just some filthy dude killing yes. people so yeah it's very dark whereas black spire is the next best thing if you can't get into this park uh galaxy that's black spire the book will be like walking through the park you'll walk the path where you go in the entrance the yeah. things you see when you see them yeah. the stores the characters the people yeah. you know why there's a chip in that tank what this drink tastes like so it's it's walking you through the park so it's i'm really trying to capture the the wonder and the character yeah. and the flavor yeah. and uh it's a group about you know leia sends by Marathi, her best resistance spy down to batu because the things that the rebels need most right now um, are allies and hidey holes, and so she's like, "Vi gets sent to build a base," yeah. um, and so she has to collect a crew, build a base, uh, and then of course the first order shows up because why? When does the first order not show up to inconvenience the rebels? So um, I actually listened to kind of more recent uh, music. I listened to Young the Giant, Foster the People. I've got some like puppy ska covers on there when it feels like a montage because we're building stuff. And I, I would put on Brooklyn Nine-Nine in the background because I was, I've always wanted to see kind of Brooklyn Nine-Nine in, in Star Wars, like a group of friends working together, like nobody's a jerk. Right. We're all just doing our best. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I got to write a robot, or a robot, bleh, a droid that I love. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, I like to think of it like there's, there's action adventure, near-death experiences, there's definitely plenty of peril like you want in a Star Wars adventure. Yeah. But a lot of it is just the story of these, what makes, what makes a, what makes an average person living in an okay life decide, no, I'm willing to risk my life to work for the resistance and you know that I will leave my normal life and come work with you and we will become friends and this is what we'll yeah. do. So kind of like that, the misfits, like the usual suspects of yeah. misfits and they're, they're doing the thing. Oh, thank you. So we've got Phasma, we've got Vi, you mentioned Ray Sloan earlier. Of course, we've got Ray and Rose in the films. Yeah. Uh, Admiral Haldo. Have we yet reached the peak of the power of 
strong women in Star Wars, or do we still have a ways to go with the characters that we've seen come out the last couple of years? I don't think there is a peak of strong. Oh my God, there's a sleaze bag in back there. Oh my God, we have to go offer him death sticks. That's amazing. Sorry, very excited about costumes. Um, I don't think there's a peak of strong women, but I, you know, I think uh, I asked on on Twitter. You know, who would you like to see more of in Star Wars? Yeah. Um, from the perspective of like, I've got crowd scenes to fill. I've got you know a vendor that's unnamed, but. Yeah. Thinking about you know the people that will, will work at Star Wars, I've watched the people at Gal you know they do little videos of Galaxy's Edge of people right. being told they get to work there, right, right. and you know they're they're not all defaulted to an attractive thirty year old blonde white man. There's a wide range of people that, will, that are like so excited it's their life dream, they're crying because they get to work at Galaxy's right. Edge, and so like I can't describe like every person there looks like Luke Skywalker, right. so I wanted to like you know see it. You know people they want to see more disability rep. So it seems like everybody in Star Wars gets like a four million dollar prosthetic hand. Yeah. Um, you know, they want to see different colors, uh, different yeah. sizes of people. Right. So I've tried to, you know, write in characters that are uh, that people can see themselves in, and and I and I, it's so important. And, and you know, more more uh, LGBTQIA rep. Um, yeah. We do what we can. Right. Um, you know, we don't. We I think a lot of us are, are doing our best to help everyone right. find a home in Star right. Wars. Yeah, I think that's certainly been the sense since. Disney took over and books started coming out on a more regular basis, and I know that that's appreciated. But there are several strong women in, in yeah. Black Spire. Um, I know one character I can name, uh, I can't name all of them because whatever, but uh, they have mentioned Ogagara, okay. who runs the can who owns the cantina, Oga's Cantina is the main cantina there. Okay. And you obviously have to be a strong woman if you are right. running a town. Like, right. So we'll it. find out more about her and, and see, see a little slice into her life. Excellent. Being a professional author, being a Star Wars fan, you're obviously immersed and have deity status among fandom. Is it is it tough to separate professional writer and Star Wars fan? Does it ever become just another book when you're pinning Star Wars? How does a professional such as yourself deal with balancing getting a paycheck and having love for something? I mean, the, the ultimate goal, you, nobody gets into writing Star Wars books to make money uh, because you don't get royalties on them like yeah. your own books. <laughs> you do this because you love it. And also, if, yeah. you, if, you hadn't, if you weren't completely immersed in this world, the amount of research and the things you'd have to watch and read to yeah. be able to write in this world um, is enormous. So it, you have to love it. You have to have the skills. And like I think the word professional just means you get paid. So if you've yeah. written a thank you card, someone gave you a quarter, you know, <laughs> I, I don't, I'm not one of those people, oh, it's a real writer. Like, if you write, you're a real writer, whatever. Yeah. Um, but I definitely, every now and then I'll have a moment. This morning, I actually stood in the mirror and I was like, is this too much? I'm wearing a porg skirt, a sequined imperial tank top, a jacket with a yeah. hundred pens. Yeah. Um, I'm carrying a Star Wars purse. Yes. And then I was like, my God, if you can't wear your pin jacket to celebration, exactly. like where can you do this? So true. Um, but no, like I, I, on any given day, if you see me at Target grocery shopping, I'm wearing a Star Wars shirt. Nice. Um, and, and then I'm avoiding the line of the guy who wants to tell me why The Last Jedi is bad because I don't want to talk about that again. But no, I mean, it's a Star Wars is life. This is, I mean, yeah. every, my, my, my car's name is Boga. I named it after Obi-Wan's Baractal on Utapal. You know, like it's, yeah. it's life. So I think that, um, you know, there's times when you, it, it's, all a, it's all just guessing the best way right. to be a grown-up. And yeah. I fail at that a lot, but that's okay because I think, you know, a lot of us here, are, we are, our childhood is extended. We're so lucky the way that we get to keep loving the things we love and we can uh, buy action figures and have them and we can buy the jewelry. And like, it's, it's such a gift that yeah. we get to do this and share it together that like, I, I'm just so happy about it. And you know, I, I think 
I hit my deadlines. I I only fan geek a little bit on the. I met Anthony Daniels the other night, and I didn't scream. He shook my hand, so I feel like I'm professional. <laughs> JJ mentioned in the episode 9 panel that there's an incredible weight to wrap up the Star Wars saga. Oh, I can't imagine. To make this movie a movie unto its own, but accomplish the, the, the closure. It's going to do a lot of heavy lifting. Yeah, and so from, from your perspective, what is that like? How would you go about finding balance and making this standalone, but also bringing closure to a series of nine plus films? I mean, it's, it's, it's got to be challenging. I can't imagine. I try not to, um, I, don't, I don't come up with like fan theories and my own right. storyline because right. I like to be yeah. delighted by what happens. Yeah. Even having read eight, I was still delighted watching it in the theater. Yeah. But um, I think for me, what I, what I personally want out of Star Wars uh, is nods to the things that I love, you know, the deep cuts for the, the old school fans that are like, oh, I, I got that reference. Right. Um, but I also want someone who's never seen Star Wars before. Granted, you can't come in on episode nine. You have to have watched at least, right. you know, the seven and eight. But, yeah. you know, for new fans to feel welcome and to find themselves there, you basically want every fan to find something to love. Um, and there's also a fine line between, like, if you give, um, if you're a storyteller, and you give your audience exactly what they think they want, they're going to be disappointed because yeah. they already yeah. thought of that. Yeah. Um, so you have to find a way to satisfy them while surprising them, right. hopefully delighting them. And somewhere along the way, you have to really piss them off and make them sad, too. So it's, it's a very yes. heavy weight, but I feel like, uh, you know, I've seen some of you like, just give the fans what they want. You're like, well, which, like, there's millions of fans. They all want different things. Yes. So you're hoping to, like, yes. hit the right button for all of these people. Right. right. Let me ask you this. But, you know, I'll say, like, both yeah. of my books, um, Phasma and Black Spire are written so that if you're the fan that's read every single book, you'll feel at home there. You know, it's, yeah. it's not dumbed down for you. Like, as you know, Steve, here in Star Wars, <laughs> it's not like that. It, yeah. But if you're new, if you've never read a Star Wars book, if you've only seen, you know, The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi, whatever, you should be able to pick up my books, know yeah. what's going on, and feel at home. Right. Like, I don't ever want to be a gatekeeper or, right. or put up roadblocks for someone right. that wants to enjoy Absolutely. Star Wars. So I try really hard to give you what you need to know, you know, right. but but not, if you haven't tasted Corellian wine, you can't read this book. <laughs> That'd be a great combo pack at Costco. Um, let me ask this, a, a little bit off the grid. If this thing called the Force were real, is there somebody from history, whether it's your own past, somebody that you're not related to, if the Force were real, who would you want as a Force goes to visit you? Ha! Oh my God, that's fun. You know, so uh, my thing with history is I only like history when it reads like a story. Um, I, had, I had this great teacher named Dr. Terry in 10th grade, AP US History, that I, I loved his class because everything was this great story. And every other history teacher after that, except for Professor Best in college, I was like very bored. Like I don't like reading a book and taking tests. Like I want a story. So most of the time I don't care about history. <laughs> Sorry. No, no. Um, I know a teacher that teaches just like you're talking about. But, and so I'm sure that he has negatives to him, but like, Teddy Roosevelt just seems like he would be an interesting mix of brash, genius, rugged, wacky. Talk yes. about a dude who's like not afraid to be weird. Like yes. you read about the pets he had at the White House. Yes. So you're like, you know what? I not knowing, I'm sure he yeah, I'm sure he was like a racist misogynist. Yeah. I'm not digging too far into it, but like I can see that with, you know, like I want him to like say the arena speech to me when I'm like, oh gosh, I'm kind of intimidated, and then be like, it is not the man. <laughs> yeah, I'm here for it. 
he gets points for just riding a moose down a river. So I'm with you on that. Right? Have you seen those things? They're like 14 feet tall. Exactly. Black Spire's on its way. Do you have anything else that you can give us insight into that's even further down the road? Well, I mean, I can tell you about... Uh, so Black Spire comes out August 27th. Okay. Thank you. They're wow, they're into that. It's amazing. They discovered you were here. Right? Uh, yes, yeah, so that's right before the Disney World uh, yes. Galaxy's Edge open because yes. Disneyland will be May 31st. Um, so then in October, I have this project called the Skywalker Saga. Ah, uh, yes. Which is um, a fairy tale retelling deluxe gorgeous storybook with full illustrations nice. of episodes one through eight nice. uh, told through the lens of um, the Skywalkers are basically the force users uh, because it does go to rain I'm not saying she's a Skywalker she marries the Skywalker she's a board but I'm just saying that we all know that in the Force Awakens the person who picks up the lightsaber and has the right. hero's journey is rain right. that's where we're going right. from to clear that up because boy Twitter talks <laughs> But yeah, so it's trying to capture, you know, for reading aloud to a child, they don't want to start with, one day, the Trade Federation had a conference table discussion. Uh, they want to start with, there was a little boy on Tatooine who had nothing, and suddenly he was a magical space wizard. Like, yeah. that's what they want. So yeah. that's how we're telling it. So I, you know, all of the movies, um, beautiful illustrations, gorgeous binding, like yeah. big, heavy, kill a rat with a hot hardcover. Yeah. It's going to be amazing. Awesome. Um, and at every point of writing it, I would think about, what would make my son, who's 10 and not much, he likes comic books, he doesn't like, what would make my son make me keep reading this tonight yeah. at every point of the game? Yeah, awesome. So yeah, left out a lot of the Trade well. Federation. Delilah, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to hang out with us. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, can I tell people, um, if you ever want to know where I'm going for events, I'm about to go on book tour for No Country for Old Gnomes, whatever I have coming up, um, if you go to whimsydark.com, it's my website. There's also a page for aspiring writers. I got published off my couch while nursing a baby, so I have all of these links to my how to get published uh, thing, to where to get an agent, all that sort of stuff. Um, it's got, uh, my website has pretty much anything you can need to know, plus all my books if you'd like to read up on my other thing. If you like violent women, I'm here for you. Most of my catalog <laughs> is about violent women in some way or another. But, uh, and I'm also, I'm on Twitter, at Delilah S. Dawson. And, I, I'm always hoping to help the next generation of writers because people helped me. If you have an ungoogleable question and you ask me on Twitter and I'm not, you know, at, at celebration, I'll try my best to answer because awesome. I, I feel like we really need to help each other along. Yeah, and you are so great at that. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Unmistakably Star Wars is a member of the Star Wars Escape Pods Network. Explore more great content and get to know our sister shows at WeAreEscapePods.com and on Twitter at WeAreEscapePods, the Star Wars Escape Pods Network, promoting positivity in fandom.